Recently, there's been a renewed interest in the use of 5-MeO-DMT and other psychedelic drugs. Users report out-of-body experiences and encountering strange supernatural creatures that reveal to them the mysteries of the universe. But is this a recent phenomena? Interestingly, an ancient Hebrew text describes how fallen angels taught humans how to utilize plants and cut roots to tap into their psychedelic compounds and to elicit metaphysical experiences and cast spells. Could it be that DMT and psychedelics are actually doorways into this demonic realm? What is the Book of Enoch? How do we understand it as Bible-believing Christians? What does the Bible tell us about the use of psychedelics like DMT and other drugs in general? You ready? It's about to get weird. to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh and I'm joined by my good friend Gabe. Gabe, how are you feeling about this topic today, my friend? Wow, it's uh, it's overwhelming to say the least. Um, you know, when you initially presented it to me, Josh, I was uh, kind of uninterested in the topic, to be honest with you. I was thought, well, you know, mm. uh, but then the more I started researching and the more I started, I've, I've kind of, I'm, I'm low-key obsessed with it. At this point, which is, which is really yeah. interesting. I mean, I feel like we could probably get our tinfoil hats out right now and we go could. down the rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, the only thing that I thought about when um, I started really researching it is uh, there was a particular incident at the university that you and I attended known as the Morning Glory incident. Are you familiar with this incident that I'm referring Vague, to? Vaguely. It's kind of, it was kind of a different circle of friends, but I know vaguely yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I have permission to tell the story because you and I um, were in a band together and we had a song called Morning Glories and it was about this particular incident. Vaguely, do you remember this? Is this ringing any bells? Yes, it is. It is. Okay. So um, apparently there was a student at one of the dorms that had heard that if you take morning glory seeds and you roast them a certain way, <laughs> I'm going to try to tell this up, cracking up laughing, <laughs> that it, it creates a powerful... <laughs> a very powerful hallucinogen, I guess. I don't mm. know if I'm saying that right. So they literally on the hot plate in their dorm mixed a tea made out of morning glory seeds and then drank this tea <laughs> and then went on about like an eight hour trip. Wow. Do you, you remember this? I didn't know that. I didn't know that much detail. No, yeah. I just knew that there was someone who, who attempted something, but I didn't know to what yeah, it, so it actually works. I, I guess I don't, and obvi obviously I don't want to give like our listeners a recipe for it because that's number one, we don't know how that works. But number two, that's not, that's not the point of today's episode. Yeah, I, I like how I like how we're talking about psychedelics <laughs> and the biblical the biblical, biblical basis for not doing psychedelic drugs. And you open yeah. up with, hey, by the way, you can actually yeah, yeah, here's, put yeah, the morning so, glory seeds in your dorm <laughs> room. And we, we are by no means condoning the use of this, but I will say it was... Um, a very funny uh, sight for a lot of people to see three college freshmen at this Bible college literally running around thinking that they were invisible. And one of the guy's trips went bad. And so he was screaming through the campus. It was a Saturday, so most students were gone. And uh, security guards, they started chasing them around on golf carts. And uh, they kept, I guess they caught the last guy. He was um, hmm. laying on the baseball field because he thought he was invisible. 
Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so that's the dark side of this. So um, we'll just lead off with that. I think that's good, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good uh, jump into the topic here, what we're talking about, psychedelics and the Book of Enoch and Watchers and Nephilim. And, yes, wow. and, and that's a precautionary tale that um, hopefully we will unpack in the, the next uh, few moments of, of why we do not think that psychedelics are um, things that you should do, especially as Christians. So, um, but man, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback just from uh, listeners from our first episode. So thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for uh, supporting everything that we're trying to do on this podcast. We actually have had um, a couple of international listeners. So people tuning in from Mexico, from Brazil, and from uh, Bulgaria. So shout out to our listener from Bulgaria. Actually, don't really even know where that is. So I think it's somewhere in Mississippi. Southern I think so. I think I've been there before. I think I got boiled peanuts at a gas station in Bulgaria, Mississippi. So, so I mean, I don't even know how do you how do you get started with a topic like this? Well, um, you know, I, first of all, I want to say that nine out of out of ten searches that you do or YouTube videos that you watch on this topic, especially the combination of these topics, which we're going to talk about in this episode, nine times out of ten, it seems like. It's people who are kind of like sitting in their mom's basement and started a YouTube channel and have a microphone. Yeah, um, that's kind of and, a hurtful comment because that, that's kind of you and me right now. Oh yeah, that's besides true. Their, besides their mom's basement, but yes. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it, it does it does seem to be a little bit um, fringy. I guess that's a word. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think where I first got interested in this topic, I actually had a woman from our church uh, send me an email, and it was a link to an article. And I'd never heard of DMT or never heard of anything uh, related to that. Obviously, I'd heard of psychedelics, but I'd never really heard of DMT. And it was an article about the boxer Mike Tyson and how Mike Tyson said after taking this substance that he felt like he was born again. Mm. And so when he really unpacked what he meant by that, obviously, he was not referring to a conversion experience through Jesus. He was talking about how when he tried this drug for the first time, he said it felt like free base jumping into the heart of God and coming back in just 20 minutes. Mm. And this experience that Mike Tyson has said he hallucinated, he saw Aztec symbols, dead people, his own life flashed before his eyes. And um, th this particular woman from our church, she was concerned because uh, she's a high school teacher. She was a high school teacher at the time. And it just seemed like there was this renewed interest from a lot of um, teenagers, especially young men, in this issue of psychedelics. And um, the more I researched it, the more I found out, man, it's um, it, it has become a trending topic, um, particularly for certain demographics. And for whatever reason, I think uh, guys my age and your age, Gabe, we're both in our 30s. Um, it seems like guys, for whatever reason, are interested in this and obsessed with this. I actually talked with my brother about this earlier. He said um, some of the people from his company uh, have gone on retreats and and done psychedelics, particularly DMT. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so this is a trending topic for whatever reason. Why, why do you think that is? I it really speaks to uh, kind of the condition of humanity right now. And I think it's it's kind of a, a, a result of postmodernism and, and secularism, and maybe even like this the worldview of of materialism. Um, you know, when we grow up in, uh, you know, we have about three or four generations now that are being taught that we're just, 
um, bags of protoplasm, you know, within our brains are just kind of like, you know, chemical responses, our emotions and all this stuff. It's just when we're taught that and it's compounded over three or four generations that there is no supernatural realm, that there is no creator, there's no creative design to Mm. any of this. It leaves us really empty and searching and hopeless. And I think the knee-jerk reaction to that worldview is something like psychedelic experiences where you, you, you do something, you drink something, you smoke something, and it opens up this realm to everything that is the opposite that you've been taught all your life. Um, yeah. That it, it opens you up to nothing but the spiritual realm. And that gives people answers. It gives people hope. And um, it, it, like I said, it's, it's almost the, the mimicry. It's almost the counterfeit um, of, of the biblical worldview that gives us hope. It gives us true hope in the, the real uh, sons of light, the real realm of light sure. um, that we see in, 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 so in, it, in. It's almost like what you're saying is, if I'm hearing you, you're, you're basically saying that because we have told ourselves as, as human beings that it's just the physical realm, we're just the product of, of like you said, protoplasm, people are looking for transcendence. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. searching after transcendence. And so when somebody like uh, uh, Joe Rogan, who's an ex- exceptionally popular podcaster, gets on his podcast and tells people the benefits of DMT and how it's this amazing thing, there's a lot of people that say, man, I want that transcendent experience. I want to access you know, this other part of my humanity that I've not really gotten a chance to access. And so it kind of offers people a doorway into that. Is that kind of what mm-hmm. you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And it offers healing as well. I mean, that's what it's one one of the, you know, one of the YouTubers I watched, he actually experienced both physical and emotional healing while on, on this trip. And that's another thing is it's, it's not just a fringy thing. It seems like these famous YouTubers are doing DMT and then documenting their trips, their several hour long trips and going through chronologically and talking about what they saw, what they experienced, who talked to them, who they talked to. And yeah, that, that's an interesting thing uh, mm-hmm. that Mike Tyson talked about it. And then Joe Rogan, you sent me a video this morning and I watched it of Joe Rogan and I wrote down what he said. He said, if you do it, that is you take DMT, this psychedelic, you will talk to intelligent beings from mm-hmm. another dimension. <laughs> yeah. He says, if you take DMT, you will communicate with something. Yeah. Now, now as, as a uh, Bible believing Christian, and I just got done teaching on Matthew chapter eight, about Jesus uh, confronting two demon-possessed men, um, believing in the spiritual world, and then hearing somebody say, if you take this psychedelic drug, you're going to communicate with something. I mean, that kind of, mm-hmm. for me, that sets off a red flag. And I go, yeah, I, I don't I don't think he's lying. I think you will communicate with something, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's lots of things out there you can communicate with. <laughs> right. Um, and that's, that comes as a surprise to people who don't have a biblical worldview, but people who do have a biblical worldview, um, that's no surprise. And that's actually, sure. you, that should be a red flag, especially if you're communing. A lot of these people who do this DMT experience are communing with deceased loved ones to try to go back and to resurface some of these wounds and get healing while communicating with some of these dead people. And the Bible absolutely forbids communicating. Oh, absolutely. And it's a, it's a possibility. I mean, you can do that in the spiritual right. realm. Um, and that's why the Bible has to address that because this is the Bible knew God knew in his sovereignty and his, his, um, you know, all knowing power that this, this would be a reoccurring problem without within, within humanity. Sure. 
Well, and how people are doing it, and we'll just kind of talk about the technicalities of this. Not Again, we're not condoning this use, obviously. That's not what this episode's about, but we are just wanting to give information of how people are doing this. Um, one of the most popular ways that people are doing this is through a kind of brew made from leaves. It's called ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And you and I have been pr- practicing our pronunciation of that all day. So Yes. <laughs> so, Dean, ayahuasca, it's just fun to say. Uh, it's so DMT is the main ingredient of this brew, and this is used by a lot of religious communities in Brazil, um, in North America, used in kind of shamanistic rituals. And um, the other way people do it is through something called toad licking, <laughs> which first time I read that, I thought they'd literally go out and lick toads. Turns out they don't. They usually milk uh, the Colorado River toad, and there's another toad in a desert in um, kind of the southwestern part of the country. And they get the venom from this toad and they um, crush it up in a powder or they or do certain things basically to to get the DMT off of it. So um, that's kind of the two ways that people access DMT and they take DMT. Um, but, you know, DMT is not the only psychedelic that's around. Um, there's a, a guy that I've been meeting with and kind of been walking with in a discipling relationship. And he was telling me about um, mushrooms, first time he took mushrooms and some of the experiences that he had on that. Um, ketamine is a very popular psychedelic right now as well. Um, thought it was really interesting. It originally started as an anesthesia medicine in the 1960s. Um, mescaline or peyote. Yeah. Peyote. Yeah. Yeah. That, peyote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Native American kind of, um, uh, psychedelic use for, you know, different seances and things like that. <clears throat> yeah. And that one's, gaining a lot of popularity as well. And then, of course, the one that I think most people are familiar with is LSD or uh, what a lot of people call acid. That's uh, mainly, I mean, you can act, that's a street drug and some of those experiences can last up to to 12 hours. Um, I mean, does it does it surprise you to hear that that people are having these, especially with, with kind of the newer psychedelics like the uh, 5-MeO-DMT, that people are having these vivid metaphysical experiences where they're communicating with what some people believe to be intelligent beings from another community, another dimension. I mean, is that, is that shocking to you? Surprising to you? Is that, well, I, you know, it's not, it's not to me. And mainly because I had the blessing, but also possibly the curse of, of growing up in a drug rehab center. Um, My, my dad was a director and facilitator of of a drug rehab. And so I saw things really from the age of 12 up until I graduated high school that the average person doesn't really see unless they grow up in a drug family and in a drug addicted family or they know someone um, who's, who's, you know, unless they're a user themselves. So I got to see all those things and the byproduct of all that stuff without actually being involved. So I remember, you know, eating lunch and watching a guy jump up on a a table and start slitting his wrist with a, with a butter knife and then run out and start slinging the blood onto a pentagram. Now, I've, mm. I've, I've seen guys tripping on mushrooms, you know, as a 13, 14 year old. Um, and I've seen the effects of all that. So I know that right away I was exposed to at a very early age, a very formative age in my life. I was exposed to a spiritual realm that I knew existed. And I've still to this day have very little kind of interaction with. Um, sure. But I know that that's out there. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. But I think mm. that it would surprise people. probably, and I'm going on a limb here to say that it would probably surprise your, your average normative American, like red blooded Christian, um, that there really are, you know, spiritual beings out there that, that, 
um, we in the flesh can have interactions with. And, um, right. yeah, I think, I think that that's, that might be a surprise to most, most Christians who are kind of almost kind of dormant in their faith. If that makes sense. Sure. I'm yeah. I mean, I'd be like demeaning or anything like that. It's uh, not, I'm not trying yeah, to be disrespectful. I, but... I, I guess. What you, so like if somebody just, um, hasn't really experienced, um, the, the supernatural in certain ways, is that what you're trying to say? Maybe it's more of a, um, I'm trying to be careful as well, trying to be nice. Maybe, maybe for some people, it's more of a, a head knowledge, but it's not really been necessarily something they've experienced. So, yeah, you know. and I'd say that's that's a good thing that they haven't come in contact with stuff like that. I think, especially if you're living, oh, you know, in a in multi generational Christian home, um, you know, you're not going to be exposed to some of the the really evil forces and, and powers of darkness that are in this world. Um, and I think yeah. that's a, that's kind of a good thing if you've been insulated from that. I don't mean sure. to be disparaging of that. No, well, and I think what's interesting is is which I think what we're noticing from um, even you know your experience with growing up around a drug rehab center, there seems to be a link between drug use and the demonic. Do you mm-hmm. think that's fair mm-hmm. fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, and that that's an ancient connection that goes way back, um, you know, to to the times of the Bible, but you know, even um, the times of Noah in Genesis chapter six. I think that that's right. an ancient, ancient connection. Well, let's talk about that because um, when I got this article sent to me about 5-MeO-DMT and I started really researching it and studying about psychedelics and looking to see, okay, so what what is the spiritual connection? If people on these drugs are saying they have communication with intelligent beings from another dimension, and then I started studying about what the Bible has to say about sorcery, and the Bible uses a, a word pharmakia, it's where we get the word pharmacy. I stumbled across an article that started talking about the book of Enoch, mm. which is is not a book of the Bible, um, but it's referenced by the book of Jude. And in the book of Enoch, there is something about these fallen angels, and we'll unpack this and talk a little bit more about it, who taught humanity how to access the supernatural through the use of roots and plants. Mm. I found that very, very, very interesting because it almost seems like we're seeing now in 2020 people accessing the supernatural using roots and plants or using this substance that people are getting from ayahuasca or from licking toads or whatever else. And so Mm -hmm. I really started kind of researching and studying a little bit about this book, knowing that, no, it isn't scripture, but it does have something to say, um, and so uh, tell us a little bit about it. What is the book of Enoch? Who wrote it? Um, well, how do we understand it? Yeah. So the book of Enoch is kind of a mysterious book. Um, you know, we think it dates back to like the second or third century BC. So we're talking like pre uh, Maccabean revolt era here. Um, this would have been at least the first book of Enoch dates back that far. Um, subsequent books of Enoch um, are, are maybe later traditions. But the first book of Enoch um, is, you know, attributed to Enoch, and um, you know, it it it's kind of like a I don't know if anyone is familiar with the book of Jasher, a book of Jubilees, and what it does is it takes the Genesis narrative, the historical account of the book of Genesis, and kind of fleshes it out a little bit. And yeah, you get into chapter six of the of the book of Enoch, the first book of Enoch. Um, I think it's chapters like six through ten. It talks about this, uh, this, I don't know, dilemma or this instance where these 
entities, these spiritual entities. In, in Hebrew, they're called the Irin, uh, but in English it's translated, the best translation we have would be the Watchers. They are mm. angelic beings that look, and I can read a little excerpt right here I've pulled up, and it says, and it came to pass, after the children of men had increased in those days, beautiful and comely daughters were born to them. And the angels, the sons of heaven, saw and lusted after them. And they said to one another, Behold, we will choose for ourselves wives from among the children of men, and we will beget for ourselves children with them. And Simjazah, who was their leader, said to them, I fear that perhaps you will not be willing to do this deed, and I alone will suffer this great sin. So they all answered him and said, We all swear an oath and bind ourselves mutually by a cause that we will not give up this plan but we will make this plan a deed. Then they all swore together and they bound themselves mutually by a curse. And there were 200 of them total. And, and it talks about, they did this on the, the, the Mount, the summit of Mount Hermon. And it says, and they took themselves and that will come into play later. Mount Hermon. Um, uh, some of you may be familiar with the gospel is where, you know, Jesus, um, the Mount of Transfiguration. But in chapter seven, it says they took among themselves wives and they each chose himself one and began to go to them and mix with them and taught them charms and conjure, uh, conjurations and made them acquainted with the cutting of roots and woods. And they became pregnant and brought forth great giants whose stature was 3000 L's. And, uh, you know, it goes on and there's a couple more chapters that talks about this. So, so basically, I don't want to interrupt you, but basically this mm -hmm. is this is an expansion of what we get in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, mm -hmm. that says, um, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. And, and so essentially what the book of Enoch, if I'm understanding it, correct me if I'm wrong, is it almost is an elaboration, mm -hmm. if you will, of how that evil from these angelic beings that chose to rebel against God and mate with humans, mm -hmm. how they corrupted humanity. Is that, that's kind of what it's getting at? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, gosh, a week ago, I would have looked at this topic and thought, you know, uh, I could go either way on this topic. But the more I've studied the past week and kind of geeked out over this, and I've watched some lectures and um, you know, there's a really interesting book by Dr. Michael Heiser called Reversing mm. Herman. Um, it's, it's fascinating though, because I like to get into the imagination of a second temple era Jew, a Jew of the times of Jesus of the first century and gain an understanding of how they would have looked at the concept of Genesis six and the Nephilim and these, these fallen watchers. So, um, so the Nephilim, just for clarity, the Nephilim would mm -hmm. have been the descendants of these watchers who were mm -hmm. an angelic being and humans, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and, you, and so Nephilim were a massive stature, superhuman strength, that kind of thing. They were exceptionally evil too, which is why God, according to Genesis 6, chose to uh, send the flood, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so one theory is that, you know, God decided to flood the whole earth because you know, everybody's genetic pool was, was tainted with this, with this, uh, you know, Nephilim DNA or whatever. And I, I don't know for sure if I, I buy that theory, but, and that yeah. maybe Noah, it says, it describes him as being Tamim or, or perfect or, or complete or blameless, you know, in some translations. And so maybe he pr pulled his line aside and preserved his line. 
Um, but yeah, so it, so it goes watchers. These Irene are these angels that decided to mate with humans. They, they took an oath on Mount Hermon, which mean Hermon means the place of an oath or place of consecration. And so, yeah, these, these children of these watchers and these women, um, are called the Nephilim and the Hebrew word Nephal, it is a verb that means to fall. It's probably where we get our English word fall. Nephal wow. means to fall down. So Nephilim are the those who have fallen down. Um, and yeah, wow. maybe you know the Book of Enoch says they have, you know, they're giants. In the Bible, the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, attest to the fact that there was giants in the land at yeah. that time. I mean, even up until the time of the twelve spies, you have you know twelve spies are being sent in to to spy out the Promised Land, and it's, they come back and they're all freaked out because they see these these and they call them at that time they call them Anakim. Um, which would be descendants mm. of the Nephilim. But yeah, it's a really interesting topic that, like I said, you watch nine times out of 10, anything you watch online is going to be um, crazy pants McGee talking about it. But it's <laughs> it's, it's really they, interesting. They've spotted a Nephilim somewhere in Arkansas and this guy's the only yeah. one that's seen it, right? And he, you know, got it on his game camera. He was out possum hunting. Yeah, I yeah. think thank, I watched Thank you for not saying before. Alabama, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man, I'm just trying to be conscientious. We're going to get nasty emails from people from Arkansas. Hey, yes. wait a second, mister. I live in Arkansas. So I, one of the most fascinating things, I, I read some of the, the Book of Enoch um, just preparing for this. And fascinating in that, this this book records, um, and whether we see it as scripture, obviously it's not in the biblical canon, so it's, it's mm-hmm. not inspired. It wasn't considered even by the Jews as inspired. Mm-hmm. But they saw it as relevant. They saw it as important. They saw it as a kind of history. Um, a kind of elaboration of how the earth got as wicked as it got and why God chose to destroy it. Um, but these watchers, these these fallen ones, they taught technology to humanity. So they taught humanity how to uh, make weapons of war. Um, they taught humanity um, about beauty and essentially about vanity and how to m- make someone um, look more physically attractive, but at the same time become more lustful and more vain. And then they also taught humanity um, about roots and about plants, which I just, I think that's the most fascinating part of that narrative. Cause I, I think you follow along when he talks about weapons of war, you go, okay, yeah. So violence, war, he talks about, you know, um, all these ways to make someone uh, more physically attractive. So sexual morality can happen. You're like, okay, yeah. Tracking along with that. And then he gets to roots and plants and you go, wait a second. That's that's a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. And it almost seems like everything that these watchers are teaching humanity are things that humanity was not intended to learn um, in, in that sort of way, at least. So it almost seems like there's this forbidden knowledge, this forbidden doorway that at least this book is telling us these angelic creatures, uh, or to use Joe Rogan's term, intelligent beings from another dimension <laughs> are teaching humanity. Yeah. And if we take a look at that, I mean, you could even go so far as to say that that really hasn't stopped. I mean, I think that there's a part of this whole psychedelic experience that's a false transcendence. It's a false way to access what probably is a very real realm and a very real thing, but we're not intended to experience it that way. Is, is that make sense so far? Yeah, yeah. And I think 
it all really points to the fact that we as humans are looking for a healer and we need a savior. We need redeeming. We need a healer. And that's a lot of these testimonies and these people giving these quote unquote trip reports on YouTube or whatever are talking about going in and they're maybe looking, they're, they're meeting up with like a shaman. All right. And the, the shaman is saying, okay, I want you to dig deep into your, your consciousness, find that thing that is causing you pain. And then you're going to drink this potion, you know, this, um, Ayahuasca poison, <laughs> and you're gonna, you know, yeah, I think potion, you said that right. Potion, yeah. yeah, the potion, and you're gonna, you're gonna conjure up all these, these, these past emotional hurts and pains and baggage, and you're gonna work through that while on this psychedelic trip. Um, but what's really interesting about that is, like, you know, we're we're looking for healing in that, apart from the true healer. Um, but it's it's almost like. Um, these in biblically speaking, there was this group of people who were descendants of the Anakim and the Anakim were descendants of the Nephilim. And this group of people were called the Rephaim and they're all throughout the Bible. The Rephaim are these, this group of giants and um, they're, you know, Rafa in Hebrew means a healer to heal. So these are mm -hmm. the people who are healer people um, who are maybe given, you know, like um, uh, medicines and stuff by plants or roots or learning, you know, these kinds of magical arts and stuff using herbs or whatever, um, in order to heal people. Um, and then Isaiah talks about them being bound in Sheol later on. Um, but it, it reminds me a lot of, um, the idea of the antichrist. Um, and what the antichrist, I mean, isn't he killed and then he, he heals himself. I yeah. thought it was a really interesting dynamic that that's, that's ultimately what persuades mass amounts of people is the fact that this guy comes, he heals himself. Sure. Um, and it's not like he's going around touting himself to be Christ. He's not, he's not saying I'm Jesus Christ. That's not what the antichrist is supposed to do. Right. But rather that's, that's a false Messiah. That's a false Christ, but rather he's, he is a counterfeit, um, that is offering healing to the world. Um, so I think it's, it's really interesting that when we look for healing outside of, the the true healer outside of the true doctor um you know we get our we tend to get ourselves in some some rabbit trail so to speak that um open ourselves up and i think ultimately that's that's the danger and i think that's what we're kind of getting at with these psychedelic things is the danger of when you open yourself up and you release your inhibitions um using chemical compounds i think i'm safe to say that you're opening yourself up to a spiritual realm, you're legally allowing yourself to be um, possessed. I guess is that a strong word? I mean, no, I, no, I think that's. I think, I think it's very fair to say. Yeah. So you're you're essentially saying I don't want to be in control anymore, or you know, if someone has the Holy Spirit in their lives, I don't want the Holy Spirit to be in control. I'm going to let this substance control me, or I'm going to let my inhibitions down, so whatever is out there in this dimension can have access yeah. and influence. And control over me. Well, here, here's what one famous YouTuber I watched um, this morning was saying is he, um, he got in a car accident when he was in high school and he crushed his femur and it never really, they actually had to put a metal rod down the middle of his femur where his bone marrow would be. And he was always really sore and just couldn't exercise. He couldn't run. He couldn't stretch, especially when it was cold. And he says when he's on this trip, he, he thinks about that. He remembers that. And then suddenly, like instantly, there is a group of these he, he called them, um, spiritual doctors, 
or healers, I guess you could say, who were surrounding him. Yeah. And they said, they said, what can we do for you? How can we fix you? And he told them about this car accident. He told them about the x-rays and he said it was like they all swarmed around him and then just entered his bone, entered his leg. And he felt this warm sensation come over him. And during his trip, he gets up and he starts jogging and running in place and doing all these stretches. And he's like, it was just euphoria. I was healed is how he describes it. I was healed from this, this thing that had been plaguing me for 10, 20 years. Um, and you know, he's maybe he's about our age, he's mid thirties. And, um, and then he's like, as soon as the trip was over, it went back to normal, but he experienced true physical healing in that moment in that. Yikes. But I'm just thinking like, what are the long-term repercussions of that, that yeah. you know, you're allowing these entities to inhabit your temple, you know, um, right. Well, I you're, mean, you're legally letting them in. Yeah. Good night. I, that's, that's creepy. <laughs> Creepy but the other, yeah. the other thing, and, and, you know, Dr. Heiser talks about this in his book, um, in the first century Jewish, uh, imagination. And I use that word imagination to mean like, this is how, this is what they thought about demons, right? Um, this, regardless of where you're at with demons, this is the traditional historical view of demons in the new Testament, the times of the new Testament is that a demon was the disembodied soul of a Nephilim of, of one of the Nephal. Um, and so when we see Jesus interact with those who are possessed by these demons, you know, there, you read the pages of the gospel and it's like, there, there is a lot of demon possession and a lot of exorcism in the gospel. And you're like, why is that not going on today? You know, what is, what happened? Yeah. I mean, I, I have some theories about that, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> don't, want to, don't want to creep anybody out too much, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the greatest deception of Satan to Americans is that he doesn't exist. Oh yeah, we absolutely. Have, we're somehow so intelligent that we don't, um, yeah, that we we think somehow that that's superstition. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I just, like I said, I just got done teaching uh, Matthew 8 and that's a crazy story. That's in Luke's gospel. That's in Mark's gospel. Uh, you know, Mark records it as... Um, the, the demon identifies itself as legion mm-hmm. and uh, you know, this particular demoniac is living near a tomb, cutting himself, crying out with a loud voice and he has superhuman strength. And I always thought that was interesting. You talked about how uh, in the imagination of first century Jews, they would have identified demons as disembodied Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Do you think mm-hmm. there's some connection in that story where the demons go inhabit the pigs and then head towards the water. Do you think water has something to do with the flood, all that stuff? I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, just kind of taking a stab at it. I don't know. Well, you know, the ancient Mesopotamians would have looked at the Nephilim in a positive light. And we know that um, through, um, you know, Mesopotamian, they had these like cylinder scrolls and stuff where they would have kept historical record. And they would have actually had, you know, there was like seven kings of, of, um, of the Mesopotamian region where they were actually, and we, we have historical record of this, where they were taught through divine intervention, how to build a kingdom, how to, how to make war successfully, you know, how to make weapons out of, out of bronze and iron, you know, and, and we have all of that. And, and that kind of led to this expansion of this empire and this kingdom that we now look back on and call Babylon which is really interesting because the Babylonians are looking at the concept of the Nephilim. I I try to remember what they call them, like the 
uh, 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 I'm going to butcher it here. Um, uh, anyways, I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. But um, the octonauts is that what it is? <laughs> the octonauts. No, yes, that's what my sons watch. Yeah, I um, knew there was something wrong with that TV show. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, they were they saw it as like an advantage, right? There's like yes, yeah, so yeah, they saw it. Yeah. But it's interesting that later in the biblical narrative, we see this kingdom of Babylon, which is a result of uh, the Watchers and the Nephilim sharing all these secrets. That becomes an agent of punishment and almost like retribution on the people of Israel. And the people of Israel looking at it in their sacred text, the Bible says the opposite about the the interactions with these Nephilim and, and things. So it's really interesting. And then you get later into the back of the book in the book of Revelation yeah. um, and leading up to this, what we call the millennial reign or the messianic kingdom, messianic era. Um, we see, you know, Jesus says in the book of Revelation um, that in, I think it's Revelation 9, he says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or talk. Um, furthermore, they did not repent of their, mortar, their murder, their pharmakia in the Greek, which would be like sorcery. In other words, doing like ingesting or smoking chemical substances to be able to see into the spiritual realm or see the future. Um <clears throat> that's still a thing going on. And then John in revelation says, come, come out of her, my people. And they talking about the whore of Babylon. Yeah. In other words, like John is taking this concept of Babylon and he's expanding it out and saying that Babylon is not just a physical geopolitical kingdom on the globe, but rather it's a, it's a ideology. It's like a, it's like a way of life where you take these things that are being handed down by, by people, you know, these magic art arts, these, um, ability to make war or make weapons or whatever, all that's being handed down from generation to generation. And it's all being used to exploit other human beings. And I think that is Babylon in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and so Babylon really is a mindset in mm -hmm. one sense, a mindset that represents uh, a godless existence, a mindset that represents a rebellion against God. Is that yeah, kind absolutely. of getting at the idea that he's, he's getting at? And I think yeah, that's so interesting yeah. that you brought that up with sorcery. And it's not just, uh, it is in Revelation, but um, it's also in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. He talks about, mm. um, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He talks about um, sorcery and he talks about how that's listed alongside of sexual immorality, jealousy, and fits of anger. And these are things that inhibit people from inheriting the kingdom of God. Mm. So, so this thing the new testament calls pharmakia that's often translated as sorcery there's this link between chemicals and <laughs> psychedelics most likely and sorcery and paganism and historically speaking that's accurate as well in the sense that uh, most places when you find people uh that were practicing paganism or shamanism usually there was involved in that somehow some form of psychedelics, be mm -hmm. it, you know, ayahuasca or toad licking or peyote or, or mm -hmm. whatever else it is, which I just think that's hilarious to say toad licking. So <laughs> what if you like, what if you lick the wrong toad and you just, it was like just nasty yeah. in your mouth and nothing happened. Or you just keeled over. You just, yeah, yeah instantly. 
How do you? Yeah. I mean, well, who was the first you, to lick a toad? Too. I, mean, I don't know. I, you know, here's my theory. Some guy was like, you know, <laughs> running through the desert, and he tripped and he fell, and as he fell, his tongue fell out of his mouth, and a toad was there, and then just, he got super high, and he went back, and he's like, dude, you wouldn't believe it. If you lick this toad, you're gonna get high. That's yeah, maybe. That's yeah. It's it's really interesting. Or he he brought it back and he's like, "Hey, I'll pay you five bucks to lick this toad." And someone's like, "Nah." Yeah, and then know. and then I, yeah, I don't know either. That, Who knows? I think what's really interesting going going back to this ayahuasca, I was reading um, that like this one this one uh, anthropologist was talking about. There's he says there's 150 thousand plant species in the Amazon basin alone. How they were able to find these two plants and put them together to where the human stomach can ingest the chemical compounds and put you on a six hour long trip is beside me. I have no idea. And I, I was thinking like, I, I just got done reading first Enoch and I was like, Oh, I have an idea, <laughs> you know, right. that, yeah. that's something. But, um, it, what's really interesting. He was talking about how even today there are some of these Amazonian tribes that will take a spoonful of this stuff and feed it to their newborn infants as a way to teach them that, there is a spiritual realm that there is the afterlife. And, you know, I, I've, I mean, personally, I've come in, I've come in contact with someone. I remember sitting on the other side of the table from a guy, and this is probably in recent memory. Um, one of the few times that I was borderline scared for my, my safety. Um, this guy was talking to me and, and opening up about, um, going on a, on a trip on DMT and um, I, I can remember this because he said, have you ever heard of, of DMT? And at the time I said, no, I have never heard of that. And um, he said, well, I've, 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 I just got off of a trip with DMT. And he's like, I, I saw things in there that I wasn't supposed to see. And now I think that they're, I, I think they're following me. Um, and wow. this conversation, it was like one of those conversations that you cannot get out of. Um, I was, I was literally, I was stuck in this conversation. Um, and it was, it was terrifying, you know, at the point where I was like, who, who here? Um, can can catch my facial expressions and know that I'm kind of <laughs> semi under duress right now. But it was yeah. it was interesting. And um, the what's interesting, more interesting about it is that he he clearly stated that his motives of going into this trip were so that he could combat evil spiritual forces. So he's a he's he has a biblical worldview. He's a Christian who's taking and ingesting DMT. How I'm not sure what what you know if he's smoking it or doing what, I don't know, but he's going in there to combat evil forces and he comes out and he's completely messed up. And so like, wait, Man. he was, he was trying to go on this trip so he could go and do battle with whatever he would find when he gets there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he, yeah. and he came out and was completely, you know, just, I mean, just, a, just a, a scrambled egg, you know, just, just like, you know, things were after him. He was paranoid and, and yeah, it yeah. was, it's a really interesting conversation and that is. one well, I don't want to have for a long time. Yeah, my goodness. Well, and that's part of the the art of being a pastor is when you find yourself stuck in those conversations, you got to have like a visual cue to your secretary or to one of your elders, you know, touch yeah, your that, nose, pull your ear, that kind of thing. So <laughs> That or just carry a taser. Yeah, yeah, that that too. Uh, so let's consider the alternatives. Obviously, you and I are Bible-believing Christians. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God the Father except through him. And we believe in angels, demons. We believe in an afterlife, all those kinds of things, right? Um, and by afterlife, we mean a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. That's where we spend eternity with Christ in the kingdom of God. And 
um, afterlife of eternal separation from God without Christ. So that's our worldview, biblically speaking. Yeah. But what about somebody that doesn't have a biblical worldview? What other alternatives exist to understand these other beings that one might communicate with um, on a DMT trip? I mean, what? what I have what no do idea. You, what, yeah. I mean, what do you, is um, that why there's a fascination with it? Trying to figure out what these things are? Uh, possibly. Here's one one guy I watched. He was he was a atheist, um, materialist, did not believe in the supernatural realm whatsoever. And he's he's this is the same guy with the broken leg. Um, he he said at the end of his video, he said, before I did a DMT trip, I was a hardcore atheist. Now I'm even more clueless. Is how he puts it. Now I I don't know. Wow. And he said and he said basically at. After that, he said, anyone who does DMT and is an atheist, I don't think that they can come out the other side still being an atheist or a, a materialist. And I thought, wow, that's really, that's really crazy because now he's even more confused. He's looking for hope in like these chemical compounds and, 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 you know, and activating these glands in his brain and stuff. But it's like, man, he's even more lost and more without hope in this world. And it's so wow, sad that people are coming sad. to yeah, and, and on the other side of that too, there's actually um, quite a bit of people from the New Age movement that are mm-hmm. finding out basically where this train ends. They go on a DMT trip or they take peyote or they do astral projection or they do all these types of things. And all of a sudden the veil is lifted from their eyes and they realize that what they've been communicating with all along has been demons. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual realm that they've been entering and entertaining actually exists, but it is it's basically they've been deceived. And mm-hmm. so there's one particular individual, his name's Steven Bancars. And um, if you ever get a chance to listen to any of his videos or um, uh, read any of his books, man, phenomenal. The guy's testimony is incredible. He was a new age uh, teacher. And in his early twenties, man, the, the dude was raking in, I want to say like $90,000 a month wow. running a, a new age website and doing these seminars and all these crazy stuff. And, um, he basically had the the veil lifted up off his eyes. He saw it as demonic deception and he came to Christ and he left the new age movement. And so now part of his ministry and uh, really, really cool. You should go to his website. Um, Stephen Van Carr is the guy's name. You can just Google him. Um, part of his ministry now is kind of exposing uh, that stuff for what it is uh, because this is how Satan works. Satan is, um, he is a master manipulator and he's a deceiver. So the way Satan works is he's not going to like show up in your bedroom with a, a pitchfork and the devil horns and a big, you know, fork tail and oh, worship me. It's usually the Bible says that he um, often presents himself, you know, he's an angel of light. And so he presents himself as th- that he's good. He presents himself as virtuous. Mm-hmm. And and so the way a lot of people are deceived um, is through things like this new age movement and taking psychedelics to access the spiritual world and doing meditation that involves, you know, things like astral projection, which we could do on another episode sometime. Um, There's a lot of people that find out about that stuff and they're going, man, there must be something to this whole Jesus thing. There must be something to this biblical worldview. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, Paul says in uh, Philippians two, five through 11, let me pull this up here. I think this really speaks to this. And this was a problem. And this was a problem as Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi. This, I mean, doing psychedelic drugs was a problem in the Greco-Roman world. It was something that was part of your, your 
culture and your religious duties to go see an oracle who would probably huff or or ingest or smoke or all the above something and then come out uh, outside the temple and give an oracle about the future, about your livelihood or, you know, whether or not you're going to have a child that year, whatever the case may be. So Paul's writing this in this context and he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death like a criminal on the cross. Wherefore God, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And he's, you know, he goes on that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and, and things in heaven, things in earth, the things under the earth, and that have every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I think it's really interesting, you know, that's we we're all going down these little rabbit trails looking and what, what's so fascinating about about our culture and about um, the united states of america or western civilization or the world right now is that we're obsessed with the spiritual realm while at the same time claiming not to be so yes. we're saying we're secularist we're saying we're materialist all this there is no supernatural realm but at the same time, we're obsessed with that. And you look at that in like in in television, you look at it, entertainment. I mean, you walk into any bookstore and you're just going to be inundated with everything spiritual, Absolutely. everything magical and all this stuff. I mean, look at any Disney movie. It's like we're, we're really we we have a craving for that. We 100%. have and Ecclesiastes says that eternity is written on our hearts. We, we have a longing for those things that are that are supernatural, that are eternal and if we are looking for that outside the parameters of God's word, we're going to get in a heap of trouble and we're going to find some things that are pretty dark things. We're going to be open to being deceived. Yeah. Yeah. And here's, here's the ultimate goal. I, I believe of, of every um, demonic force out there is the termination of your own life. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, we, we see that people who are demon possessed, it's like this long drawn out dying process um, and to take as many people down with you as you can. Um, that's, that's a very, I, th I think that's the goal of, of demon possession is, um, is that long dying process of terminate you getting to the point where you want to terminate your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Satan comes to kill, still and destroy. And so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. He absolutely. wants the destruction. Well, uh, as we kind of end our, in this episode, which we could talk for hours and hours about and all this stuff. I thought it'd be appropriate for us to end talking about reasons for why Bible-believing Christians, someone that does have a biblical worldview, shouldn't um, use psychedelics, shouldn't seek to be intoxicated at any time by any substance. And this is uh, kind of borrowed from Stephen Bancarts, the, the individual we talked about earlier. Um, reason one he talks about, it's directly condemned by Scripture as sorcery. Um, like we said earlier, that Greek word pharmakia, and it presents a spiritual danger. So essentially it's like we said earlier, opening yourself up to access with powers that are dark and you're making yourself vulnerable to that. And you're basically going into a, a realm that you have no business going into. Um, that'd be the first one. Hmm. Yeah. Second, second one is intoxication is a clear sin and, and it causes us to be intoxication in bodies and minds. So, uh, three verses, and there's a bunch more all throughout the scriptures, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, 
2 Timothy 4, 5, 1 Peter 1, 13. All these other instances emphasize the importance of being sober-minded, being temperate. We can't be sober in our minds and our thinking if we're intoxicated under chemically induced states of consciousness. Hmm. Uh, what do you think? To, paf, to, to pass or to puff? What about marijuana? Because I get that question all the time now. <laughs> Pastor, like it. if it's... If it's legalized, is it okay for us to do it? You know, it just helps me with anxiety. Man, I, I hear that all the stinking time. Do you, you get that yet? Um, I get it from my students. So as a high school teacher, I get all kinds of questions like that oh, about, sure. about yeah. marijuana and things like that. They're, they're all um, about that jazz cabbage, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I always go back to this is like, you know, why, why? That's an expensive hobby, you know? So why are you doing that? <laughs> And it's like, okay, you know, well, because I have a lot of anxiety. Okay. So what's the cause of this anxiety? Because you spending money and buying this stuff um, and doing this is just ultimately it's putting a bandaid over a wound. Like what's the cause of this? What's the cause of that? Yep. And, and I mean, look, we talk about pharmacia and we are the most um, pharmaceutical happy generation there ever has been. Um, Absolutely. And we look at the numbers of, of people who are dying just of opioids out there. It's like something like 40 to 50,000 people in the United States of America per year that are dying of opioids. And we, I mean, even within the body of Messiah, we love, um, prescriptions. I mean, it's like we, and I I think we have to kind of step back and repent as a, as a group, as a, as a church, as a, you know, community and say, wait a second, can we just, can we bypass taking this medication and maybe just, you know, eat, eat better and treat our bodies right. like the temples they are? Or can we, can we do this? Can we maybe, it's, um, it's almost as if there's this over-reliance on these substances mm-hmm. just to, like you said, throw a bandaid over a gaping wound and not ask, Hey, why do I get anxious? And, and, and it, could it be that there's a deeper spiritual issue there that I need mm-hmm. work to work through? Or maybe a, you know, long lasting emotional scar, maybe a trusted Christian counselor, or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody to walk with me through whatever trauma is there that's causing me anxiety. We, we would much rather take a pill or smoke up on something and then say, Hey, I'm fixed. I'm relying on this for the rest of my life, but Hey, I'm fixed. Yeah. And I, I think I hang a lot on the, on, on the idea, the biblical idea that the love of money is the root of all evil. And there is, mm-hmm. a, I mean, there's all kinds of money flowing through pharmaceutical companies and everything. We have to be very careful as believers um, and people who believe in in the healing power of you know uh, believing in in Christ and and following Him. That you know, let's let's stop. Let's let's rethink just everything pills, everything f- like you know prescriptions, and let's just let's, let's take a step back and, and maybe see what it looks like. Like you said, to get, to find counseling or, or to exercise or to eat better or do things like that, that, that sure. maybe, maybe there's things out there that we can, and I understand there's people that need to be on medications. Oh, absolutely. I understand that. Yeah. And, and think, if you're listening to this and you're going, Oh my gosh, he's telling me to throw away all my medication. Don't. <laughs> no, right? that's not, so, yeah, it's absolutely not what I'm saying. Not what saying. Yeah. But I don't but, think, but I see what you're saying. I mean, it, it, it should be something that we're looking at com- completely the totality of your personhood mm-hmm. And, and who you are as a person, you need to ask yourself, am I getting healing for all of myself, my spirit, my mm-hmm. mind, my soul, my body? Am I doing preventative medicine, all that stuff? Because, I mean, it seems as though we are so obsessed with just <laughs> take the pill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. So I had uh, high cholesterol when I went for my physical a few years ago. And they wanted to put me on um, Lipitor. Hmm. These are fat guy problems, by the way. You'll never know this world. So. 
he's sitting there looking at me all smug across uh, the table from me, you skinny little, you, you know what else. Uh, so they want to pee on Lipitor, right? Nothing wrong with that, I guess. But um, my wife started looking at the side effects for Lipitor and it apparently like causes like testosterone reduction. So if 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 I went on Lipitor, there would be all these horrible side effects. And the most obvious solution for if you have high cholesterol is like change your diet and exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. because that's hard to do and because people don't want to like stop eating bacon and get off the couch, what do we do? We take a medicine that's actually bad for us. And when you really start going down that like – line of thinking that seems like how we address things as americans don't do the hard work of actually helping yourself get better just take a pill oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah and in the meantime someone's lining their pockets and i mean i i sound really conspiracy theory when i'm saying this but i'm I'm saying this from a place of yeah from personal experience and you know it's like you you take a medication they prescribe you medication and then there's like oh you have that side effect well here take this medication maybe that'll help with that side effect that we just caused you and um yeah there's just there's gobs of money flowing through that so i think we should be looking at that like you said with a completely different mindset and be very hesitant and very skeptical of someone who's prescription happy and think okay well what can i do um i'm really i'm really fond of and i'm really admire and respect a, a guy in our in my congregation um, Jim and Jim gets out and he walks the trails behind my house nearly every day. And when I, I finally crossed paths with him out there and I said, Hey man, why are you, you know, what, what made you want to walk all of a sudden? And he said, well, they want to put me on three different medications. And, and, um, he said, you know, I, I declined them all. And I said, I'm going to get out here. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to increase my, uh, I'm going to lower my blood pressure naturally. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to get on all that stuff. Mm. So kudos to you, Jim, if you're listening, I think that's awesome. And I think wait, if more wait, people no, did Jim. that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's self-discipline. Like yeah, be like Jim. Yeah. Go yeah. to the gym. <laughs> be like Jim and go to the gym. Yeah. No. So, yeah. So that's the reason why psychedelics or intoxication, and we kind of went down the rabbit hole for that. So intoxication, yeah. according to scripture, is always considered a sin. Other other reason, he says, is it conforms us, this is the use of psychedelics or intoxication, to the pattern of the pagan and the secular world. He says mm-hmm. this. I thought this was so interesting. Psychedelics thwart and confuse the meaning of life which for the Christian is fellowship with God through Jesus. Whatever the appeal of using these drugs, like expanded perspectives, contact with the spirit world, or fulfilling human curiosity, the end of human life is to be restored to relationship with the Father through faith Hmm. in Jesus. So I thought that was such a fascinating take on it, that when we take psychedelics or we're curious about that and we're going down that path, we're actually not behaving in such a way that... um, it is really conformed to the whole reason for being alive. Mm. Uh, the, the transcendence that God offers us is communion with him through his son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit of God. That's the mm. real way to have that transcendent experience we were created and designed to have. Mm. That in the Garden of Eden, God came and walked with humanity in the garden. That is exactly what we were designed to do, to commune with God. And, and no drug is going to be able to be a substitute for that. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's fascinating that he put us in a physical body in a physical world. He didn't create us to be purely spiritual beings. I mean, we are, our spirit will live on when our bodies die. But why did he, you know, pop us in this physical fleshly body? I think he wants us to really, um, and like you said, the original intent was to be able to dwell with God on earth and if on a physical level. 
um, and to also enjoy and experience the world and his creation on a physical level as well and all the pleasures that it brings. Um, you know, the, from everything from our taste buds to, to marital relations to everything in between. It's like he wants us to experience all these wonderful, holy things that he put there for us. And we don't have to alter our consciousness in order to experience true joy and true pleasure, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I think, be, I think it ultimately detracts from his plan. Yeah. I think that's interesting. You said we don't have to be on these substances to experience pleasure. I mean, doesn't that ultimately um, make the everyday pleasures of life that God gives us as gifts seem less appealing when we think mm. we have to be high to have any pleasure at all? Well, I think a lot of these people who turn to psychedelics have kind of exhausted all their options in terms of physical pleasure. They've kind of run the gamut on everything from like, you know, girls, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, like they're, they've kind sure, of lived sure, sure, sure. more wild lives and they've experienced all those physical pleasures in an unholy context. So I think, right. I think they're, they're, they're really yearning and deeping uh, and craving for something deeper um, on a spiritual level because they're not experiencing the physical pleasures God put in our, in our lives in the proper context, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And last reason for not using psychedelics or getting intoxicated, but specifically against using psychedelics is it's against the law. <laughs> Romans 13, one and two, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. So there you yeah. have it. Case closed. Case closed. So uh, no morning glory compounds in your dorm room <laughs> that you cook up on a hot plate. Yes, yes. Stay off the wacky weed, ladies and gentlemen. Stay off the wacky tobacco, the jazz cabbage, and the, I don't know what else one would call it, toad looking. But I, I tell you what, Stacy makes some killer collard greens that um, <laughs> if you want a, a near hallucinogenic uh, experience you have to come over to my house and try my wife's collard greens, collard greens that she makes it the right. best i've ever tasted and i i live in southern alabama and i have tasted many a collard greens are they so, called ayahuasca collard greens i don't know what she puts in them but, <laughs> uh, i think there's molasses involved and some other ingredients but i don't ask i just kind of you know I don't know. Yeah. Ignorance maybe is bliss. Should, maybe we should have a conversation offline about uh, how you should be more careful about these things. Discernment is a, a yeah, virtue yeah. according to the Christian faith. But I, I'm I'm amazed that we kept this around an hour long. I thought I for sure too, that this would be a multi-hour um, endeavor yeah. to talk about these topics. So yeah. I this I would really encourage people if you haven't checked out Dr. Michael Heiser. He's on YouTube. He has like a, a, a series of lectures on the topic. If you want to go deeper on that, we're just barely even scratching the surface on some of this Nephilim watcher stuff. Oh, absolutely. And his podcast is called the Naked Bible Podcast. Is that right? Yeah. I think he is involved with the Naked Bible in some way. I'm not sure how, but yeah. yeah. Is it is it Naked Bible or Naked Bible? <laughs> depends on where, it, you, where it, you're it from. Depends on, depends on if you're from Bulgaria, Arkansas, or Alabama. What side of the Mason-Dixon line you're in? Our one Bulgarian friend is like, he's a Mason Dixon line. What is that? <laughs> All righty. Well, with that, we bid you adieu, Gabe. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Stay high on life, my friend. <laughs> will do, will do. Thanks, guys, for listening. Keep it real. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, 
or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.